if you don't start now, in five years' time, you're going to still be doing what you're doing now and think, I wish I'd started. And if in eight years you get that dream job and you look back and you think it took you eight years, you're not going to regret it. You don't regret the time that, because that's still your life. That's still, you know, challenging and it's still fun and it's still part of the journey. So I think just not expecting everything to happen yesterday, but actually just take action and do something that you really, really care about and make it happen. Hey guys, and welcome back to Take Flight, a peak performance podcast where we share stories, insights, and advice from the highest achievers in the world. I'm your host, Mark Whittle, and this week we have an amazing human being on that I had the pleasure of speaking with just before the Christmas break. The guest for episode 69 of Take Flight is Sarah Lindsay. Sarah is a former Olympian. She competed at three Winter Olympics, the 2002 Salt Lake City, 2006 in Turin, and finally 2010 in the Vancouver Games. She was the golden girl for Team GB speed skating in a career that spanned for 15 years, finishing at the very top because in her final race, she set the British record. It's such an incredible achievement and an incredible amount of time to compete on the world stage in your sport. Sarah speaks all about what she learned from her time as an athlete and how it helps her today. Since retirement, Sarah founded the amazing personal training gym, Raw, alongside her husband, Richard, where they've built something truly special. Famous for their almost unbelievable transformations, Raw has such a comprehensive offering and looks in detail at the entire human physiological makeup in order to make these drastic transformational results. They're truly helping people's lives by digging into the lifestyle, the nutrition, of course, the exercise and everything in between. There are no stones that go unturned here. It's really, really amazing stuff that they're doing. And I was lucky enough to train with Sarah in her new facility, right in the city next to the walkie talkie building. We actually filmed the session as well. You can see that short video clip on my Instagram at markwhittle underscore TF. Sarah put me through it and it was literally three days ago. My legs are still hurting, my back's hurting, in a good way, of course. But it was such a pleasure. I love things like that. And the gym space is incredible. Of course, it's a personal training gym, so you get the best treatment. And there were times when I was just thinking, oh my God, I'm being trained by a Olympian. It was an amazing experience. But of course, it's not always affordable for some people to do these personal training gyms as good as they are. And the good thing is, Sarah is also launching very soon a more class-based gym, which she talks all about in this podcast episode as well. So opening up this education on training and largely resistance training to the masses, which is going to be amazing. So stay tuned to hear more about that, but also I'll post about it in the future when it finally opens and people can start to go down and check it out. Aside from all of her amazing achievements as an athlete and all her incredible achievements since as a business founder and entrepreneur, Sarah is just an amazing person. I genuinely enjoyed sitting down and speaking with her. She's so lovely and she's also just got fantastic advice for people who might be up against it or people who are trying to get to the top in what they're doing. I know people are going to love hearing this story and I can't wait for you to hear it. Please enjoy this amazing chat with the former Olympian turned entrepreneur, Sarah Lindsay. Thanks for listening. Sarah, welcome to the Take Flight Podcast. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. This place is amazing. Thank As you. As in, like, thanks for having me. As well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm on your podcast. Um, <laughs> that's fine. Um, yeah, great stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. We've, um, we've only been open two weeks. 
and like I was saying I'm walking around telling everybody little snags that are wrong and stuff and really it looks it looks brilliant and I'm I'm really really happy with what we've managed to yeah. build and achieve no it really does it's very impressive so Thank do you want to explain you. where we are um, so we're next to the walkie-talkie building, which is um, next to Monument Station. My first site is next to the Gherkin, so not very far away, mm. only sort of six, seven-minute walk. Um, but we were full there pretty quickly. And, um, yeah, I was thinking of where to go, and we started uh, looking at West London. So we put in an offer on a place in West London, and it took two years to negotiate that lease. So in the meantime, I found another building in the city and thought, you know what, let's just crack on, because I didn't know when the West London one would even come to fruition. So mm. the plan wasn't originally to do two more at the same time, but it's um, turned out that way, Yeah, which oh, is fine. You've got to flex, Yeah, we've got you? 24 hours in a day. <laughs> <laughs> and how long was the first one open for? Um, the first one's been open three and a half years now. And nice. after, I mean, we were full after about 10 months. So, and then we started looking for the second site and then obviously negotiating uh, to try and get in there. But we've finally done it and we take, we go in, I think, mid-January now. Mm. And then we've got a 12-week build project. So we should be open for spring. Nice. Yeah, finally. Nice. We got there. So do you want to talk a little bit about RAW and what it is and kind of why you started in the first place? Hmm, so kind of a long story, maybe. So, well, RAW is private personal training, so it's not a membership gym. So you have to be with your trainer. People come in and they sign up for either eight or 12 weeks, and we're well known for this transformation project. Um, you know, love it or hate it, it's just it's a good representation of what is possible. And for me, I mean, that's really good personal training as far as I'm concerned I, I kind of don't like the transformation tag sometimes but um, people come to you for change you know they come they want to change their bodies and they want to change the way they look um, and ultimately how they feel so um, that's a you know the end result and the before and after is a big part of it uh, so yeah that's what we deliver that's what people come and ask for so amazing do you think that you can change anyone yeah absolutely yeah. if you look at the before and afters we have people from all different walks of life, um, people with different, everybody has some kind of challenge to get over, whether it's mental or um, physical disabilities, or, you know, they've, they've been through a lot or, you know, eating problems, all sorts of things. Um, and you have to look at everybody on a very individual basis and find out really what their reason is and why they're here and what they want to achieve. And then find out what the blocks have been so far so that you can work out how to overcome them. Mm. It's very difficult for people sometimes to be objective about, you know, what that is. And maybe when they sit down and talk to you, they've never actually admitted, even to themselves necessarily, what it is they really want to get from this. So, you know, sometimes there's tears and, you know, because you're working out really, like I said, the reason why. Um, but you have to find that out to be able to motivate people properly. Yeah, yeah, I bet there's tears in here. <laughs> yeah, obviously in the consultation, we have a lot of women. Um, we're 75% female clients now. Okay. So, um, and like I said, people come in because they don't feel good, you know, and they're, and they're unhappy with where they are at the moment. So, but that is also the most rewarding thing. People come in not feeling good and then at the end of their 12-week transformation, they feel incredible and you see people change and 
you know, body language and their posture and the way they make eye contact and um, things that they might, you know, say or go and get or do well at work, that sort of thing that isn't necessarily expected from this. But you see people grow and change over that 12 weeks, which is really, really rewarding. Oh, I bet, yeah. What, what do you see most commonly is the, you said the blockers that people have generally to make transformation on their own. What do mm-hmm. you see as the most common blockers for people? Um, I think education. I think people don't, it's, the information out there is really confusing. And it's not for me to say that, you know, people are uneducated, because people are trying, but you turn the page and it's opposite information to what you read on the page before. So it's very difficult to know what to do. So I think people go on instincts and, you know, their intuition or they, they read something and they think, oh, you know, they like the sound of that, but it isn't necessarily what's going to get the job done for them. So they go with what, you know, they feel or what they're comfortable with and, and sort of pushing people outside of their comfort zone and, and admitting um, what their problems actually are or what the reason is because, you know, you're, you have to look at yourself properly to do that and I don't think people are necessarily that comfortable with it. So it's much easier from an outside perspective to look in, ask a ton of questions and find out the real reasons. So I think, yeah, I think it comes down to a lot of education because even if people really want to and they could be working really hard and training every day and they think they're being healthy with their food, but it's not necessarily supporting what they're trying to do with their training. Um, so that has to be what you, what you live and breathe and what you read every day and experience with lots of different people. So it's very difficult to do that on your own. Yeah. Even if I want to achieve something, if I want to write my training program or a nutrition plan to get leaner for something or to gain muscle for something, I will just change the numbers so that I can eat more chocolate. You know, So I have to get someone else to write it for me, even with my knowledge. Yeah, okay. That's really interesting. Everyone needs help. Yeah. I always say no Olympian went to the Olympics without a coach, mm-hmm. right? So when people feel embarrassed or a little bit shy to ask for help to get somewhere where they feel like they should be able to do it on their own or without the support then I always come back to that. I couldn't have gone to the Olympic Games without a coach or five coaches, in fact. Mm. So everybody does need a support network and needs somebody to look in from the outside and be objective and help make them the right decisions. Yeah, okay, amazing. Desperate to jump to the Olympics, but I'm going to hold off. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) So um, obviously this podcast is called Take Flight and in its essence is about taking that leap of faith into doing something that either you're passionate about or you believe might be your purpose or your reason for being here. Mm -hmm. Starting businesses is a really difficult thing to do. So interested to know whether you spoke about coaches there as far as when you're an athlete. Did you have a really strong support system around you when you were building Raw and what that looked like? Were you on your own when you were doing it or when you were training? Were you the first trainer here? How did it look like in its early days? Well, I think when I finished... When I finished my sport, I went into personal training and it was it was kind of an obvious transition for me. I qualified as a personal trainer a long time before while I was an athlete with, you know, sort of the thought in mind for, for what I was going to do when I when I finished. Um, and I was the strength and conditioning coach for the figure skating team. Um, but that's obviously very different. Helping, you know, improve a 15-year-old's jump rotation by 3%, for example, is very different to getting somebody who has never trained Um, who may be overweight, who doesn't know how to move, has never been in a gym before and getting them in shape. Those are two completely different things when you're, you know, you have ultimately a gymnast on ice that can do anything um, and you're looking at the very sort of small elements, you know, particularly scientific, to doing something that 
feels very basic, but it's actually way more complicated to get somebody who's never moved before to squat, for example. Um, so completely different challenges. Mm. So yeah, I went into personal training and I, I spent some time learning the trade and working with different people. And I think when I finished, you know, as an athlete, you have these huge goals, um, things that are, the, you know, so important to you and nothing else in the world matters. And all I wanted was to win an Olympic medal. And when I finished and I was doing personal training, I just, it didn't get me enough. There wasn't, you know, I didn't... Um, there wasn't a big enough drive for me to really love what I did. Although I liked helping people, I think I wasn't doing them justice because my heart wasn't in it in the same way that it was for the Olympics. Mm. And it wasn't until I started my own business that, and I actually managed to come in contact with many more people. So every single person that comes through the door, I do their consultation. So I get to meet everyone. So it's been thousands and thousands of people now. I get to meet everybody. I know their reasons and I really, really want it for them. And like I've already said, I see how they grow and how they develop and the people they turn into. I know it sounds really cheesy, but, um, but it's true. You know, you see these people change and that became really, really important to me because it was so rewarding. So um, I think when you're passionate about what you do and you really you really do care and you really do love it and you know that you're making a real difference to people, um, it's very easy to be motivated again. So this became, you know, my real passion and what I absolutely love and I wouldn't do anything else, you know, it's the first thing you think about in the morning and I'm working all night and stuff, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Do you think like as it scales more that you'll still be able to see and meet everyone who comes through the door? That's my goal. So, um, you know, I I don't know where it's gonna go. And I don't like having too long-term plans. I have some some vague ideas that I'll keep to myself. But um, I want, as, as long as I can, I want to meet everyone. If that becomes my only job and I have to employ other people to do almost everything else, the most important thing for me is that, because it's like my house. You know, everybody in here is like, you're in my house and I want to know who everybody is and I want to see, you know, be a part of their journey and go onto the gym floor and know who everybody is and be able to say hello and ask them what they're doing and how they're getting on. And I want people to feel like they can come to me if they need anything extra, if there's anything missing or they're struggling with anything. I want them to know that they can contact me or email me and let me help fix it because I want everybody to leave feeling like they got the absolute best from this experience. Well, I suppose a lot of those people are coming through the door because of you anyway, so it's nice that you can do that. Well, I help get the message out there. You know, obviously mm. I have a big mouth and I talk about it all the time. Um, but, you know, I want, I think, I think I have quite a good sort of female reach with my, with my social media. Um, I have a lot of female followers and um, I feel like this is a very positive environment and I feel very, you know, I work really hard on making sure that, I'm always very positive and that I think comes fairly naturally to me. I've, I think, learned as an athlete to turn things around very quickly um, and I try and do that for other people as well. Mm, awesome. <clears throat> Something I've been thinking about a little bit recently is, you know, when you've got ideas or stuff that you're working on and you, you mentioned there you've got stuff or you've got a vision of where you think this is going to go that you're going to keep to yourself at the moment. <laughs> yeah. At what point do you start to share those ideas? Because I've got like loads of little ventures that I'm thinking about and sometimes you sit down to meet someone for a coffee or whatever, he's like, do I talk about this one? Because it might not turn into anything or it might be different to what I spoke about. Like, when do you decide to share the ideas? Well, I think those ideas always develop. So what I was thinking about five years ago is different to what I'm thinking about now. And it's not just because it's grown so I see, you know, I want more and more, or I see this this bigger picture. You're, 
I think your creativity changes and the more people you speak to about your ideas, you'll get one little nugget from somebody. So I think the more you talk to people about things, the better. And people will have a slightly different take or idea on it that you might take away, even if you don't realise at the time, that you think back to and think, let's do that. You know, something will click and... You know, you don't have to be the most creative person or know exactly where you're going to go, but you have to, I think, be open-minded and mm. listen to other people's ideas because you'll never see things through other people's eyes. You only have your your own perspective on things. And the more, um, you know, everybody's influence, everybody's conversation, everything they've seen, everything they've experienced will contribute to their views so I think and you can't you can only have your own you know so that like I said the more you listen to other people um the more you can sort of pick off little bits and little ideas and it doesn't have to be their exact vision but you'll get a little nugget from someone I think it's funny like so many times people have said something to me and I'm kind of just brush it off or don't really think about it and then like six months down the line something's happened to me and I'm like they were so right. Yeah, yeah. I just wasn't really prepared to listen at the time. I wasn't ready to listen at the time. Yeah, of course. And it's, you know, it's difficult when people say things you think, oh, you don't know. <laughs> because, you know, they're coming from somewhere completely different. But, um, yeah, as long as you remember them later down the line. Yeah. So something that's exciting is that you're moving in your new facility to more of a class-based model so more people can get involved. Yes. Where did that decision come from was it was it from a place of thinking how can you get more people through the door and educate as many people as possible I think there's so many people that want to be part of raw and I feel I feel bad half the time because you know I understand that this is you know this is quite elite and there's only a certain amount of places and you have to be able to afford it and you have to be close enough to get here and and really buy into it so I understand that so many people can't do it which is try I try and put out content that's useful for people but to be completely honest, my social media has no strategy and I just sort of make it up as I go along. So it's not always the most helpful. Um, I think most people make it up. Do they? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Because I'll, I'll just look at my Instagram and think, oh gosh, I haven't done anything for three days. What do I do? And then I'll just get somebody to film my workout and hope that other people can use it. Um, so yeah, it's something that I need to work that I need to work on. But obviously when I'm running a business, Instagram isn't actually my job. Yeah. It's just, you know, just trying to sort of get people to engage really and, and to know what we're doing. But with the classes, yeah, I wanted to be to be um more people to be able to come to us um and to be more accessible. So uh we've moved into West London and we'll see how that goes. Um and if it's successful then maybe I can roll out some more classes. Mm. Um, so it is a completely new business for me and um, I have some really nice ideas about what I want it to be and we're just sort of firming those up at the moment but the idea behind it is is quite strong Um, obviously I'm about weight training Mm -hmm. and I understand you know a class concept where people want to come and they want to work hard and they want to sweat and they want to release endorphins and you know we won't come too far away from that but it does need to be weight training based so a lot of what we do in-house is um, encourage people to be able to weight train and give them the confidence to be able to do it on their own and that's really really important for me Uh, people used to come to us and I used to have to convince people to weight train and that it was going to be a good move for them. And that there's been a huge shift in this industry. And now everybody wants to weight train, but doesn't necessarily know how, which is why they come here. So if we can give people that confidence. So the class, it's not, um, it's not body pump. 
and it's not as advanced as you know something like CrossFit, but it's going to be very educational. Um, it's going to teach people to weight train, make them feel familiar with weight training equipment so that they have the confidence to go into the gym and do it themselves, mm. which is what I want to see. I want to see the free weights area full of girls. Yeah. I sound a bit sexist, but... No, it's right, because like, at the minute it's just generally full of men, isn't it? Yeah, Some well, go, I mean, women do feel intimidated in that environment. And I say this quite a lot, but nobody should be more confident in the gym than me. You know, I am an Olympian and I know what I'm doing and I'm stronger than most of the guys in there. But if I go to a new gym, um, (laughs) I still look for my comfort zone. If I've not been there before, I'll still wear a cap and a T-shirt so no one can see my arms and my headphones in. And I just go in, get the job done and leave and, you know, don't really talk to people and stuff. And, you know, that's somebody and I'm confident generally in life. So I think for somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and uh, isn't feeling good about themselves at the moment and they want to go and weight train how do they even begin how do they go into the gym pick up some dumbbells what are you going to do with those if you have no idea so you know people generally just go in sit on a bike for 20 minutes or something and then scuttle back out and they never really get anywhere which is such a shame because they are motivated they want to do it but you know don't necessarily have the confidence to do what they need to do to to really get the results mm. It's, it's interesting because confidence is such a huge thing, not just in the gym or with your fitness, but in all of your life. Of course. How do you help people to be more confident outside of educating? Because once you've got the knowledge, it's easier. But yeah. outside of education, how do you help people with, with I confidence? think something that people don't realise until it happens to them. So most people come in and they want to lose weight and they want to get slimmer. Um, and that's because they want to feel better. But something that comes from weight training is your strength, obviously. And people don't come and say, I want to be strong very often. That's you know fairly rare. Um, but when they do get strong, that you know physically being capable of doing anything... Um, I think is really, really empowering. And again, I sound a little bit a little bit cheesy, but it really does cross over into the rest of your life. When you're mm. physically capable of anything, then I think you do feel really empowered and you're much more likely to, you know, physically try things and try new things. And that does cross over into the mental side as well, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I was listening to something the other day. Someone was talking about, they called it a centurion workout. And it was slightly different to what you do, but it was geared towards people who were, basically getting a bit older and they had either young kids or grandkids and it was helping them with stuff like it was getting them to do stuff like squats or pick up a heavy medicine ball which is mirroring the way that they would behave in their normal life to give them confidence in the family environment yeah so not necessarily just being in the gym like being fit and strong to lift that's the most important thing yeah you know i think i always think of people well i think about longevity for myself which i know sounds a little bit premature but i think you know if at 60 I can retire and you know I have all these things in my life I want to do that I'm probably too busy to do at the moment you know I want to be able to travel and climb mountains and not be limited by my physical capabilities and if you're you know privileged enough to be physically able and you can get yourself into a place where you're strong enough to do whatever you want you don't want to spend you know you've done well enough and you've you know earned some money your kids are grown up you don't want to spend your money on health care you know, you have to look after yourself now to be able to, you know, stay fit and healthy and strong for the rest of your life, yeah. which is so important. Yeah. I have people come in who are 60 years old and, you know, they've never trained and they can't get up off a chair without holding on to something. And I think 
It's such a horrible shame. You've worked so hard in the city. Um, and like I said, now you're going to have to be, you have to do things like this and, you know, lots of physio and everything to be able to go and do the things you really want to do. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. What's, what's your typical type of client then? Who do you know oh, we have all sorts. Yeah. There is no typical type. I okay. mean, we are in the city, so we do have a lot of people who work nearby. Yeah. Um, and, but we have people who are, you know, early 20s, um, all the way through to, I think our oldest, our oldest client is mid to late 70s, um, which is cool. We yeah. have people with, you know, with disabilities, um, people with eating issues, and people from, you know, all different jobs and walks of life and stuff. So it's, it's not all athletes or anything like that. That's, mm. that's rare as well. You know, yeah. people think because I was an athlete that it's going to be a gym full of fit people, but those people don't need our help. Yeah, yeah. Well, they probably still do as well. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Bring them down as well. I need my help. <laughs> um, so what would like a typical first session be like? Like if you've got a new client that comes in the door, what sort of thing are you talking to them about? What are you asking them? And then what would the first session be? Well, when people first come in, actually, the first thing they do is see the physio. So they do a movement screening mm, and nice. they're checking for stiffness, tightness, weakness, potential for injury, and then advise us on the exercise selection. So the program that we build, we have to make sure the exercises are appropriate for their body and their mechanics and the way they move and the goals they set out in the first place. Then they see the nutritionist who will ask them a million questions. Um, It always goes in a different direction, obviously, because everybody has a different story. Uh, But they're looking at, you know, likes, dislikes, food restrictions, um, gut problems. Lifestyle is huge. If it doesn't fit your lifestyle, you won't keep doing it. So it has to be individual. Um, they take their measurements in that session as well and then from all the information they gather they decide what they think they should eat they deliver it in meal plan format so it's made really really easy so I work on a macronutrient basis but we do all those calculations so the train so the client doesn't have to Um, and then they just copy the meal plan then they train three times a week on the floor with a trainer and then every three weeks we retest them so they have another nutrition consultation and see how their body has responded to the plan so far then we know how to progress the nutrition and the training program. Starting to make sense why you have such drastic transformations. Yeah, we're serious. Yeah, <laughs> sounds amazing. I know, it's all friendly and, um, and very positive and lovely and it's a, it's a really nice, positive gym floor, but it's also, you know, we're, we're results-driven ultimately, mm. so it has to still be very dynamic. Yeah. We can just still all smile at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you've got to make it enjoyable for people oh, as well. Of course, right? of course. Where do you stand on the, like, you know, you hear people say 80-20 diet to exercise for health. Do you agree with that? It depends what the goal is. Okay, yeah. You know, everybody's journey is different and it depends on what stage they're at, whether they're trying to get somewhere or um, whether it's for maintenance or physical health. But if you're trying to do this, it's 100% of both. Mm. You know, you need to train hard and you need to follow the nutrition plan plan properly. And what did you say was the longest one that you do? The longest, what's sorry? Plan-wise, what is it? Did you say 12 weeks? Yeah, so we do eight and a 12-week yeah. program. Nice. Um, you can do almost anything in 12 weeks. And I think that's long enough to really learn what you're doing and get some really good habits. And then after you've achieved what you want to achieve, I think the next stage for people is life. It's like, how do you maintain where you're at and still enjoy things in your life that you want mm-hmm. to enjoy? So while you're doing this program... 
it can be I mean it depends how you how you perceive it but it can be relatively strict obviously because otherwise you know people would already be there if they uh, could do it without our help so it can be quite strict but um you're constantly moving forwards during that time so once you achieve your goal you don't need to keep doing this to maintain that you have to think what do I want do I want to you know have wine at the weekend I want to eat chocolate after my dinner and you know what do you have to do to make sure that it doesn't impact your result and you can maintain where you are but maintenance is much much easier Mm. than getting there in the first place that's where people need the help yeah and then maintenance wise maybe these classes are perfect then because then you can have more of a long-term commitment as well yeah yeah of course people are completely capable of going into the gym and training by themselves once they've done this Mm. they know what they're doing and hopefully like i said we've given them the confidence to, to go in and do it but when you look around the gym you know everybody started somewhere people really aren't judging and they're there because they care about it and they're passionate and they've been on their own journey so i really do think in general most gyms are very inclusive and when you start training people can be really really helpful because you know they love it too otherwise they wouldn't be there yeah how much is it you're making me want to do it yeah <laughs> yeah you can what's the eight week one it de- so it depends there's you know a f- there's a few variables depending on time of day so we have peak and off peak yeah. um so depending on time of day and um if you pay up front or we do an installment option as well which actually isn't isn't a lot different it's like 150 quid more over the 12 weeks but okay. it's just a slight incentive to get people to to commit up front but um it ranges from if you do the full 12 week all inclusive um it ranges from 3200 to 3800 okay amazing sounds yeah. ridiculous i love all this stuff because obviously it's, this is peak performance driven mm-hmm. so to go into those kind of details around the body nutritionally any like previous injuries and stuff as well and then get the expertise with the training is yeah. it sounds awesome well i think if you could if you could guarantee i think people worry that they can't do it they think, oh, there's a reason that it doesn't work for them. Mm. But the fact that it's an individual approach means that it does. We will make it work for them. Mm. Um, you know, everyone has, like I said, has a different thing that, that might block them. But if you said to people, right, you could go from this to this, and you're looking at the transformation pictures, you can go for this to this, and it'll cost you three grand. People pay more than that for, you know, silly bits of surgery and things. So yeah. <laughs> I think if you could guarantee it, and it was a definite, you know, it was going to happen, then I think it would be a very easy sell for people. Mm. Yeah. The other question I had, because I, I studied exercise science at yeah. university, mm-hmm. so I've forgotten everything now, but one of the things I have remembered is, it was something along the lines of 1.25 kilos a week was safe as far as weight loss. Mm-hmm. Is that right? It, it totally depends on your starting point. Okay. You know, we have people come in who, you know, maybe they're 145 kilos and they can lose weight very quickly, especially if they're doing lots of things that um, aren't necessarily going to help them lose weight in their normal life. So if they're eating terribly or eating lots and not moving and you change their life completely, um, then they can lose very quickly. For somebody or for you, for example, you probably shouldn't lose Mm. a kilo a week, you know? Um, Yeah, so um, it completely depends on the starting point and how much there is to actually change in their diet in the first place. You know, it might take me six weeks to lose a couple of mils off my umbilical but a client will lose that in a few days Mm. and then if you have real drastic weight loss does it make it more difficult to maintain afterwards no i don't think so i think um that all depends on what you continue to do 
Um, I think people that have yo-yoed are because they've crash dieted okay. and they've, you know, they've done things sort of drastically because of, for whatever reason. So I think with the education and ingraining some really good habits, and I think a lot of that wanting to continue to do it comes from the enjoyment. So you, if you find this, you know, there's a million different ways to, to achieve results. Um, and if you find something that you enjoy and something that you like and you look forward to, then you're much more likely to keep doing it. So I think that's it's a big part of it is finding something to really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're really impacting people's lives. It's, it's amazing. We spoke before we hit record about wanting to talk a little bit more about change. And although you're having a big impact on people physically, you're also having a huge impact on them psychologically. And we spoke about confidence and stuff already. Yeah. So when we're talking about things like behavior change, and I'm sure you're going to say enjoyment again is one of these things, but how do we make lasting change in our lives? Because lots of people who listen to this or have been on the podcast themselves have made huge changes in their lives, whether that's with businesses or just generally the, the way they want to live. Mm-hmm. Like what have you seen working with so many different people and changing their lives? What, what do you think is the kind of key to building these habits and making sure that people are having long lasting change? Well, like you said, you know, enjoyment is a big, is a big part of it. And I think finding things that work so that you get the results and that obviously encourages you to keep going. I think, um, I think being kind to yourself again it sounds a little it sounds a little bit cheesy but I think you know being positive and reinforcing that and reminding yourself of those things and where you've come from and why you've done this and what you enjoy about it I think you start to appreciate things differently and you start to care about your body in a different way mm. I think people start going to the gym sometimes because they don't like their bodies you know and they they're sort of hating that about themselves and then it will slowly grow into you go to the gym and you work out and you nourish your body. You eat good food because you care about yourself. And that's, you know, ultimately it's an amazing place to be. You should, you know, love and appreciate your body and, and want to look after it and want to feel good. And I think until you've done that, you don't know what that is necessarily. You know, lots of people, for example, if you, if you drink regularly and you might not have to drink a lot, maybe you drink a few glasses a night. And for some people, especially around here, this drinking culture is very, very normal. But you have this you know, low level of sort of inflammation and this sort of minor hangover all the time. And people just think that that, that feeling is normal and they don't know how good that they can feel if they really take care of themselves. You know, you wake up in the morning, you want to exercise and you've got a good appetite and, you know, you don't have these lulls during the day and you've always got energy and, you know, maybe you're less emotional and you sleep well. And then so you start to feel really really good and it, I think it isn't until that starts to happen that people even know that it exists but when they get there and I think again that's a big thing that people get from this when people get there and they feel good every day why would you want to sabotage that mm-hmm. you know you start to appreciate that and you know if you do decide to go out and have a big you know boozy night or something then it's everything always ends up a little bit considered if you want to eat a croissant for example then you're going to think is this the best thing for me to do now or should I have it later or and again that comes with education the more you know about what's happening in your body and what food does for your body um, the more likely you are to make different decisions I think Mm. yeah people just end up building the wrong habits yeah I think so and that's so easy yeah you have the class so easily and then you have it the next morning yeah 
Of course, I'd rather have a croissant as well than a bowl of scrambled eggs, but <laughs> I'm not going to feel good later because of it. Yeah. Um, and you think, well, it's just a croissant. And I do treat myself, um, but never without thinking about it. Yeah. And I think actually it can make you appreciate those things more. Mm. You know, when you, when you really know what's in something or, um, for example, with treats, I, I don't consider you know, McDonald's, for example, a treat. It's not good for your body. It doesn't even taste like food to me. So I wouldn't do it. There's, you know, nothing about it that wants to have that. But I might have something that's very calorific or very high in fat or something that's really sweet or something, but um, it's still good food. It's still, you know, going to nourish my body and have some good, something good about it. Or if I eat chocolate, I'm not eating Mars bars. Mm. I'm eating good quality chocolate and I don't, and your tastes for things change. You know, you start to like the flavors of real foods yeah. rather than superficial or, Crap. you know, yeah. What's <laughs> your, trying to say something nice. Yeah. What's your favorite cheat meal? <laughs> um, I mean, I don't really, res- I don't consider the way that I eat restrictive. So if I really want something, then I'll have it. Like I say, I am mindful um, but I don't know the last day I went without chocolate, to be honest. The last day you went without chocolate? No. What's your go-to? Um, I do, if if I just need to get something on the move, then Green and Black's is usually available. So I'll, I'll get, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm allergic to milk, so I have okay. to um, be kind of, yeah, unfortunately. I don't say unfortunately, I don't like milk anyway, really. But um, yeah, I'm allergic to, to milk. So, I mean, I miss cheese, but mm. there's worse things. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I always have dark chocolate, but... Um, I'm kind of I'm a bit of a chocolate snob. I like things like Booja Booja or Paul A. Young is pretty special, um, <laughs> or Pierre Marcolini. If someone wants to buy me any treats for Christmas, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was reading about um, raw cacao the other day because I'm actually doing a cacao ceremony on Saturday. What? Yeah, that's amazing. It should be fun. A cacao ceremony. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's like you can't you have the cacao and then you basically have like a meditation, the music plays and stuff. <gasps> I need to be invited to this. Saturday night. Saturday night. What am I doing? <laughs> they do, they'll do loads of them. Maybe we should put on like a group one or something. No, nobody appreciates chocolate more than me. I'd, I'd challenge <laughs> you to find somebody that cares more about chocolate than I do. My mum, I reckon. <laughs> really? Yeah. Actually, I'm my mum, my mum's pretty close. She's <laughs> the only person I'll share my box of chocolates with. We both just sit there, close our eyes and eat chocolate like weirdos. But Yeah. Well, you owe her a lot, don't you? Yeah. So. Of course, absolutely. <laughs> she can share the chocolate, it's fine. <laughs> but this, like the raw cacao apparently like helps you get into a really clear state and often can help people get to a high level of consciousness, which is weird. I, th- I don't associate chocolate with that, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, of course, we'll go with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier about understanding a little bit more about yourself um, mm-hmm. and how people can do that. Have you done a lot of that sort of stuff on your own? With regards to what, transitioning? From- I suppose, yeah, because you've been through a lot and I want to kind of transition into your life as an Olympian mm-hmm. after this question, but have you done a lot of work on yourself as far as like what the drive is, where that came from, why you are like you are and getting a, just a bit of a better understanding about who you are as a person? I think I'm, um, I'm, I'm very aware and I think that actually comes from other people rather than myself. So... The bigger Raw has become, I'm responsible for other people. You know, we have 25 employees and, you know, they're in their mid-20s. And sometimes I forget that, you know, this is a fairly big age gap, but a lot of them are in their mid-20s. And I know the people in my life 
as you know when I was an athlete and when I was you know moving out of sport who influenced me and how they influenced me and why um, and the things I took away from that so I'd like to be I mean this is a real um, sort of it feels like a family situation with with the people that we've employed and I really really care about all of them they're all important to me and that's one of the privileges of being the boss is that you get to surround yourself with people that you really care about and like and I want really good things for them and that is very very genuine and I care about each and 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 every single one of them whatever that means whether it means you know they are gonna go and leave and do amazing things without me then that's totally fine if I played any part in that Mm. then that makes me super happy so yeah but it's it's so important I think if I can have any influence on these people's lives in a positive way then I want to be able to do that so I'm I think I've developed because I want to be able to help other people rather than thinking about my own. Um, That's massive though, because it's like a it's like a coming from a place of service or contribution, isn't it? I th- yeah, I think so, and that's not something that I've consciously thought about or decided upon, but. Like I said, I care about them a lot. I mean, I do actually have family members working for me. Um, so I think maybe it started there. I'm not sure, but I have people who have been with me right from the beginning, um, and people that I know need help or people that I've mentored from a really young age before I ever started doing this who are now here working for me so um yeah yeah it's really really special and you see it when you come in everybody cares about each other you know the the trainers all talk to every client all the clients become friends um so although people do come for this result it's it becomes a real club for them and people don't like to leave it becomes a really sad thing when people finish and they leave everybody's quite emotional do you see a lot of people coming back for another round yeah loads of people really yeah yeah i I don't know if i should say (laughs) it or not um but we do actually have a really really high re-sign rate Mm. and i think that's because i think one you're a little bit spoiled you know you're you are well looked after here so I think people don't want to go to a commercial gym and fight for a bench when they're used yeah. to having what they have here. <laughs> um, but also I think it's because it's such a positive place and the city is quite stressful. Obviously you walk around, everybody's in a rush, yeah. nobody talks to each other and it can be a, can be a little bit miserable sometimes. And I think they come into Raw and they're welcomed and people are genuinely smiling at them. They care about their result. They're asking them how they are and trying to help them achieve the thing that they're here to achieve. Um, so I think it becomes a really positive part of their week. Mm. So I think that can be quite addictive, that sort of positivity and that feeling where people lift you up. And if you come in super stressed with your fists clenched and you know clients will skip back out again afterwards, even though they've just been trashed and they're you know, <laughs> super happy and feeling great. And I think it's very difficult to leave that environment for good. Yeah, well, I suppose that endorphin rush is probably going to be one of the highlights of their week, just yeah. on a chemical level in their yeah, body. Yeah, absolutely, especially if it's something they've not done before. Most people come here, they've never really trained. Yeah. So that's, you know, something completely new to them. And when you feel that good, I think, like I say, it's difficult to, to walk away. Mm. And I suppose we haven't even mentioned the actual results that people are getting. So naturally, that's going to make people want to come back. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think people, and people's goals change. Yeah. You get there, and I think most people are scared to set really high goals because they're scared of failing. And like I said, they don't believe necessarily that it's going to work for them or they don't want to put their, their hearts on the line sometimes. But then when they achieve that and usually surpass it, 
then they think, actually, I could do that. Mm. I want to achieve that next step. So then, you know, their goals move and they want to do the next thing. So yeah. I think, um, you know, people are always evolving and their goals will always change. I still have goals, you know, I've been training for 30 years. So, um, yeah, I think it's the same for everybody. And they're just at the start of their journey. Mm. They, you know, when they started, they had no idea where they wanted to go. But, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So to talk about the start of your journey then. I'd yeah. love to hear about your life as an Olympian, uh-huh. how you even got into it, because of course we're in the UK and not many people, well, generally we haven't seen a huge amount of success in the Winter Olympics, but you've been to three. Yeah. And I just would love to hear more about that. I think it's so amazing. And I think the Olympics in general is such an exciting thing. It's an amazing thing to be a part of, I'm sure. Oh, I've yeah, had for sure. other Olympians on here before who have talked about how amazing it is and the highlights of their life and all these great yeah. stories so yeah I think obviously you're an extreme peak performer in what you did and it'll be a fantastic to hear about that well um I started I think I did lots of sport when I was young um extremely hyperactive and I did sport before and after school every day I think really so my parents could just sit down for an hour without me um so I did lots of sport and then um so I think I developed a a high skill level quite early and I think that means if you develop those skills at a young age then you can kind of go into any sport and be relatively good at it so and then I think got to the point where I had to start choosing what sport I was going to do so um just for time more than anything so I started figure skating because a friend of mine was doing it so I I went to the ice rink and did some figure skating with her and I think um maybe I wasn't quite as dancey or I wasn't really into the dresses maybe I was a bit of a tomboy when I was young um and somebody was talent spotting and asked me to try speed skating and I was always really tall when I was younger and like I said I developed you know to be quite a sort of athletic child and it was just a more natural thing for me to do and I you know the whole race element of it and whoever goes over the line first wins um so that competitive nature rather than somebody judging whether you win or not uh, I really liked so when I started to have to choose what sports I was doing I dropped figure skating for speed skating and maybe I don't know swimming for athletics and gymnastics for horse riding or something like that um so I started to sort of whittle down which ones I was gonna I was gonna focus on and then in the end I think I got quite good at speed skating quite quickly and because it's a small sport and a small community you're very well looked after so you know there was all the sort of community element of everybody would just jump into a van and go to Belgium for a a junior international or something and it was um it was really fun you know you're going away with all your friends and the parents would take it in turns to ferry each other around and that sort of thing so um yeah I really I really really enjoyed the whole um the whole community side of it and and doing that sort of thing with my friends so that's where I think it started to become serious for me Okay, so obviously you did loads of different sports when you were younger, then you started to narrow them down. Mm-hmm. What was the actual journey like to the Olympics then? So my club, like I said, it was a small sport. So within my club and the people I was training with, we had Olympic medalists. Um, so you always had people to look up to, and there was a high percentage of the British team were going to go to the Olympics. So from a, it sounds a little arrogant or I don't think you can be arrogant at eight right but from I think from eight years old I knew I was going to the Olympics and there's never been I've never had the thought that I wouldn't I always knew that I was going to and that's purely because I was surrounded by 
you know like-minded people or people that were going and were winning and so if that person's going of course I am I didn't think I was going to be the the person that that wasn't going to go so um yeah I think I was really really lucky that I had those people around me because some people have no influence and you know nobody to tell them that they're good and that they can achieve things and I was always told that I could so I believed them so I didn't have to come up with that myself so then, yeah, I I started racing on the national team from quite a young age. I won the British Championships when I was senior ladies British Championships when I was fifteen, and then so then I was on the national team. So from when I left school, I was full time on the national team, uh, and so I had to sort of live and move wherever the team went, and the whole team were based in the same place. So it's a full time job. You're training two three times a day. Uh, in between training sessions you're either doing physio or your psych program or video analysis or you're in the lab or they're trying to work out what the hell's going on um, so you know it was very very focused and very driven it was all I did for you know 15 years I didn't do anything else I didn't think about anything else years. I didn't care about anything else all you care about is the next training session and performing in the next training session because you know it, it's quite an emotional thing if you skate fast that day you feel like you're winning the olympics if you skate slow that day it's all over you know so um everything is very very important and every decision you make will influence the next training session so you know from every little detail every one percent becomes huge the things that you you know don't necessarily think about in normal life but um you know everything becomes a big a big deal yeah so you, you competed in three Olympics. Yeah, What three. was it like? That's like enough, isn't your it? Country. <laughs> yeah. um, so obviously it's every four years. So across yes. 12 years you were yeah. competing. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. So the first one, I was young, so I was only 21 for the first, the first Olympics. And our sport takes quite a long time to develop. It was incredible. It was in Salt Lake City, so it was huge. Um, and it was, you know, quite soon after 9-11. So we were the second favourite team in America, obviously after the Americans. Um, so we got the biggest cheers. We were very well supported. Um, it was a huge, huge show. The whole thing was enormous um, and totally, totally spoiled. And it was a really incredible um, first experience. And, you know, you have so many amazing memories and stories from that. And my first Olympic race, if we have time, is quite, it's quite a funny one. You spend all this time prepping for it, obviously. And me and my psych, we, he said to me before, before we went, he's like, what could go wrong? What could I be there for? How could I help you? Um, do you need me to be prepared for anything? What could go wrong in the heat box, which is where you get ready before you get on the ice? And I said, oh, I don't know. You know, we've done everything. You know, maybe your lace could snap. You know, you're doing up your skate. If your lace snaps, you need another one there ready. Um, but that's never happened to me maybe have a spanner in case my blade was loose or something you know something that you couldn't think of necessarily so he so he just had to have spare laces in his pocket and um, a spanner and my water bottle and he's you know an amazing psychologist but his job was to stand there and look after me basically <laughs> um, so I'm in the heat box getting ready and I've got my race plan down to the absolute T I'm 100% prepared for it and I'm getting ready. And I think at the Olympics, you do everything that little bit more. You want it to be that little bit more perfect. And I pulled my lace and it snapped, which yeah. has literally never happened my whole entire life. It never happened to me. And I looked up at my psych and he looked at me back in horror because he didn't have my laces. Um, and I was like, you don't have them, do you? And he went, no. And I've got one minute before you get on the ice. And if you're not on in time, they close the door and you can't get on. 
So I, I just was like, get my lady. He ran off to go get them. Um, and I'm trying to get ready, get my other skate done and everything. He came back and we're lacing up at 100 miles an hour, trying to get on in time. I literally had to push the woman who's closing the door out of the way to get on trying to put my hat and gloves on when I got on the ice and that's all supposed to be done beforehand and they were all telling me off and everything <laughs> and I said before I raced I wasn't going to look at the crowds because you've got you know tens and tens of thousands of people there I wasn't going to look at the crowd I was just going to focus and I just sort of looked up and looked around me and I my race plan was gone I couldn't think my you know my sort of physical mental state was out of the window and this is my first ever olympic race and i was in bits i felt sick i had these butterflies i was shaking and they call you to the line and i thought i don't know what to do i don't know how to skate i don't know what my race plan is and i couldn't think of anything um and they say go to the start and you get into position and the whole crowd goes quiet and um my brother was up in the stands and he was right at the top as well and he'd actually been offered a lot of money for his ticket the day before and it was only for one race and I told him to sell it because he was kind of poor at the time um and I was like just sell the ticket you know if I don't get through it's just one race and if I do get through you can watch me the next day and he's like no 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 I've got to be there for your first Olympic race so I went to the start line it all goes quiet and he shouted at the top of his voice and I heard over everybody he shouted this little sort of slogan that me and him have when I'm training, he'll cheer me on and stuff. And there's a certain thing that he used to say. And he shouted this over the entire stadium and instantly I felt relaxed. What was it? It's Dr. Pepper. It's so stupid. So the advert used to be, what's the worst that can happen? Is Dr. Pepper. What's the worst that can happen was the song. Oh, I love it. And... Because I didn't necessarily always have the confidence or the guts to do things in the race or make the moves in the race that I should, he used to say, just Dr. Pepper, it's Sarah, what's the worst that can happen? Mm-hmm. Um, just as a silly sort of goofy joke. And he shouted Dr. Pepper over the whole stadium. <laughs> um, and I instantly felt like I wasn't on my own. And I straight away relaxed. My hands just sort of relaxed my fingers. And I got to the line and I was totally confident again. And it was just one person, just, you know, my brother, who obviously I love to death um just saying this one thing to me that changed the whole thing and then I was fine I qualified and so it was yeah yeah that's my first ever Olympic sort of real memory or like story from from my first ever Olympics that's amazing I went off on a bit of a tangent there but no um, that's brilliant it's one of it's one of my favorites I still I've told that so many times I still get emotional Mm. I still feel like a little lump in my throat or like a little butterfly in my stomach I want to give my brother a hug Oh, that's so nice. That's amazing. But of course, you're never going to forget such a fantastic moment. And it was made even more memorable with what happened with the lace and everything else. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, of course, with what your brother did to support you. Yeah, yeah. He's super cute. It's cool because it's like people have that in any time when they're trying to perform like some sort of trigger or something they can do to bring themselves back into their body and into the moment. So. Who knew it would be that? Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Dr. Pepper. I know. She'd That's use that more often. Yeah. I remember me and my mum just always used to say it to each other, it's all good, which is kind of like a similar yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, like yeah. Whenever it thing. was bad, we'd just say that to each other and then you go like, okay. Because you know that you're there supporting each other. Yeah. That's ultimately what it what it is, isn't mm. it? Yeah. I remember we were both once stuck. I was really young, actually, but I was a better snowboarder than my mum on a <laughs> skiing holiday. We were in Colorado. And yeah, she was struggling to get down here. We just like 
said that to each other and then helped each other get down and then they just stuck like that forever see it's like a memory you created that you'll always always have yeah it's so nice yeah it's cool so you were telling me before about the end of your career so that was obviously the beginning of your career yes that was my first that was your first so yeah. if we skip to your last yeah, we can miss the middle one out it was kind of a non-event <laughs> where, where was the middle one um turin in turin yeah and i came eighth in that so it was a, a decent performance mm-hmm. but i wasn't you know i wasn't ready i was still i was still improving every year so i wanted to do another four years and aim to peak for the last one yeah so you're building to perform in the final absolutely yeah, yeah. okay um, I had a, a very serious back injury from a crash yeah. in 2007. So that actually took a year and three months where I couldn't skate. So I had a whole year out. And I mean, if you have one day off because you have a cold, you're stressed. You know, mm. so everybody else is training and you're not training. And, yeah. you know, that's it's tough. Um, so to have that long out was really, really difficult. And But to be honest, it meant that in my mind, I only had two years to get ready for the next Olympics, which now sounds like an eternity. But for me, I was a year behind everybody. So I was so desperate to make every single training session count that although I'd always been a hard worker, I was always known as a bit of a grafter, I couldn't have done one thing better, basically. There was nothing left unturned for my last Olympics. Um, so I went into the Olympics really confident which for me was very rare there's only maybe two three occasions in my whole career where I went into the competition feeling 100% confident I always doubted myself I always questioned whether I'd done things right or how I was feeling Um, but I looked around and there was one girl that was significantly better than everybody else Chinese girl and she'd you know, she was five times world champion. She, at the world championships, her time would have put her fifth in the men's. So she was, you know, exceptional and unbeaten in five years. But then after that, it was a very open field. And I didn't see anybody skating the same sort of lap times that I was skating. So I was feeling really, really good about it, actually. And so I drew this this top girl in my in my race, which for me... A lot of people thought that it was going to be a bad thing, but I thought it was a good thing because she was going to skate the fastest. If I came in second behind her, the faster time you do, the better lane draw you get for the next race. So I was going to get lane two in the final as long as I could, you know, keep up with her, which, you know, you can draft. Then I was going to get lane two in the final and then it's for somebody else to overtake you, which is which is difficult if you're going quick. So then, yeah, when it came to the to the next race, we started the race I crashed with somebody on the start and we fell over. Now, in our sport, if that happens, if more than one person falls over, they restart the race. And in the past, I've done six restarts. There's always a crash in the sprint event on the start because nobody really has a lane. It's just everybody's just going for the first corner as quick as they can. Obviously, people clash skates. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, if more than one person falls, then they restart it. So this is what happened. We crashed, we restarted the race. The same thing happened again. And the second time, I got disqualified. So nothing, nothing was different. It was exactly the same as the first call, but I think actually we were running behind time on the TV schedule. He looked at his watch and just waggled his finger at me and, and sent me off. Well, he actually asked me to stay in the middle and watch the race from the middle of the ice. You would have had to have, you know, killed me to make that happen. So I knew that they weren't going to change the decision they don't rerun the Olympics. That referee actually served a ban after... Oh. A, he served a two-year ban, I think, after that. For that decision. For, yeah, that and, uh, and another decision. Um, so, yeah, they don't rerun the Olympics, though, so that was it. 
and they you know they sort of showed it on the on the big screen over and over again they sh- while they were waiting for the decision they showed the incident they showed the crash and although i would never blame the other girl because we're all in the same boat and we all you know it's the olympics and you'll do anything and but she she fell and she pulled me down because if you know like i just said if two people fall over they restart it so um she reached out grabbed me hooked my arm and pulled me to the floor um and i was the one that got disqualified so it's a it's a very i mean it's a bit of a sad story it's a it's a terrible way to finish your career and i got off the ice and luckily they opened the door because I'd have just jumped the barrier and probably cut someone's head off with my skates. Um, but they opened the barrier and I got off and it was, it was very, very surreal. I don't remember a lot of that. I know that I drop kicked my helmet into the, into the rafters and I sat down. I don't know how long I was sitting there for, but I mean, I, I don't want to make out I'm really hard or anything, but I rarely cry. Uh, there was just a puddle of like tears on the floor and I looked down and realised I was crying and you have to do you have to walk through the international zone and do your interview straight away so you don't get to go back to the changing room or anything you just walk through where all the press are and do your post-race interview and Matthew Pinson was waiting to talk to me and you know I was told go away wash it because I had mascara all down my face like go away wash your face get yourself ready think about what you want to say try and put a positive spin on it and I just said no I was like look if we're going to do an interview it needs to be real and this isn't this isn't okay. This isn't a good situation. I'm not happy. I'm not going to talk positively about this because there was nothing positive to say. So I went through and I did my interview, looking a total state, I think. But it was it was at least very honest, and people. I wanted people to see how important it is, and it's not just oh well, that's just our sport, you know, because it shouldn't be. Mm. So I was you know I was very disappointed, and I retired after that. And I just went, the last competition I did, so I went to one competition after the Olympics, which was the World Team Championships, uh, because I had a girls' team, a relay team, and I didn't want to let them down ultimately, but I I really didn't want to go. Um, so I went and did that competition, and I just had a little moment of wanting to end on a positive note. I hadn't really decided that I was going to retire, but I just sat in the heat box, and I was getting ready to skate, and I thought, you know what, this is it. And I just said to my coach, if I skate the British record, I quit. I'm going to retire on a, on a fast time. And he said, are you sure? And I said, yeah. And we were in Italy and we have a lot of support in Italy, a lot of fans. And they announced it on the, on the mic and everybody got behind me. All the skaters who were in the heat box, the people that you're competing with and everybody sort of cheered me on and sort of gave me a pat as I walked on to, to get onto the ice. And then when I finished the race, and I really went for it and I went as hard as I could and I enjoyed every second of that race. And I looked up and I'd done it by just a couple of tenths, but I'd still done it. Um, and my coach gave me the thumbs up and then I just waved goodbye. And that was it. Wow. And I got off the ice and that was, that was my last ever race, was my fastest ever. So hmm. I wanted Amazing. to end, yeah, I wanted to end it on a high. Yeah. Have you come to, come to peace with what happened at the Olympics? Um, it's difficult to, I don't have regrets. It's difficult because I didn't do anything wrong. So I couldn't change anything. And if I had to redo it, I'd do the same thing. I wouldn't, if I didn't win that start, then I wouldn't have won the race. So that was my strong point and I couldn't give up my start. So the same thing would have happened. Um, you know, it'd be nice to have a different referee, but you know, I can't, I wasn't in control of that. So, and like I said, it's difficult to have regrets when you're happy now. You know, what I have now with Raw is, this is my Olympic gold medal. 
this is super super special and i absolutely love what we've created and i'm really really proud so you know i i'm fine with it now um it took a long time my first the first olympics after my retired olympics i couldn't even watch it mm. I, I found it really really difficult because it was the other first one that i hadn't been in since i'd been skating so yeah that was that was tough and the first year after i retired i found very very difficult that sort of transition into normal life i was totally lost and i had no idea i had no idea what to do or how i would fit or how to be proud of myself again because i just didn't care about anything enough you know i wanted this olympic gold medal and to me i felt like i'd failed and lots of people you know they're really impressed by the fact that I've been to three Olympics, but I was actually, it's terrible to say this, but I was actually embarrassed because I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve. But then everything that I learned from sport and how it develops you as a person became um, super, super useful. And you don't know until those sort of lessons come back around and you know I use them all the time in business you don't know how valuable it's going to be. So I'm very, very grateful for, for those years now and how I got to spend, how I got to spend my childhood, my twenties, you know, it was, it was very, very um, special. Yeah. It's funny how many people always come back to the gratitude no matter what's happened in the end. Yeah. Feeling it just takes a bit of time. I think, yeah. I think it's always very difficult for somebody who, who comes out of sport and then has to find the next life and it's not always great for for everybody and I think it's not just the the mental side but the physical side that affects the mental side so you have these you know butterflies every day like I said I cared about every single training session so much every lap mattered and you have butterflies because you want to skate fast so that sort of physical stimulation that you have every single day is now gone so you just don't have that you know that drive or that stimulation that makes you care enough about something and until I had something big until I put something on the line and took a real risk with this business um, which we're still doing you know it's it's everything that we've we've never borrowed everything we've done from the first site has you know paid for the next two and so, so it's it is all our risk but um, you know it's important that we have control it's very important to me um, and I think it makes it mean more and matter more to you if it's if it's your own risk bit of a strange one but do you think that you would have had the drive and the motivation to make it the success that it's been if you had won the gold medal I don't know you have no idea like one little decision can change everything Mm. you know you can just take one slight turn or one different person to come into your life or one different job and you end up on a completely different path so I think it's it's really really difficult to do that but I think I think probably I think if you're wired that way and you want because when you finish the Olympics if you win a medal then how are you going to replicate that how are you going to get that high or that sense of achievement again so I think people that you know even people that win that have achieved it there's an anti-climax because you've worked your whole life if you work 20 years for something and you achieve it what's next mm. how will anything compare to an olympic gold medal and standing on that podium and everybody screaming your name and cheering for you how does how do you feel like that again or how do you come to terms with the fact that you're never going to so i think everybody's journey is different and i feel quite strongly about the fact that there's not a lot of help afterwards i think there's starting to happen and there are a few organizations now um that support athletes a bit more but there needs to be there needs to be more support because at 30 years old I retired from sport and it was like finishing school 
I had no idea. And I didn't know how to do anything for myself. You're so well looked after. And it's like, oh, poor me. I was really privileged with the fact that I had all these people looking after me. But I had no life skills at all and no real education. So what was, you know, what was I going to do? And I look around and all my peers, everyone that I've been to school with, all my friends were well established in their careers and all achieving things. And I, yeah, I was, like I said, leaving school at 30. Mm. So... I know you spoke about how it was quite a difficult transition. Do you want to touch a little bit on that and perhaps offer some advice to people who might be making a career change or a lifestyle change? I think to find something that you're passionate about, I know easier said because everybody wants to find that, you know, that sort of ultimate career. But I do believe that you should aim higher. I think people can do almost anything they want. They just have to start. You know, you can have these dreams. What's really stopping you? What's really the block? between you between now and getting there and even if something takes you a long time you think oh gosh that's like eight years it'll take me to to be a pilot or you know whatever it is but if you don't start now in five years time you're going to still be doing what you're doing now I think I wish I'd started and if in eight years you get that dream job and you look back and you think it took you eight years you're not going to regret it Mm. You don't regret the time that because that's still your life that's still you know challenging and it's still fun and it's still part of the journey so I think just not expecting everything to happen yesterday but actually just take action and do something that you really really care about and make it happen because people can do much more than what they give themselves credit for a lot of the time I think mm. it just takes a bit of guts yeah amazing that's such good advice thank you oh you're welcome so we do the same three questions at the end of every episode. Mm-hmm. They're kind of quick fire questions. Okay. I've got one more for you before we do those three, which is because this is going out in January and people will be making some health and lifestyle changes in their life, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> what is the kind of key piece of advice you give someone who's trying to get healthy and fitter in 2020? Um, I think to make a plan. I think if you just wing it, even I can't do that I can't go to gym and just and just wing it or just wing my diet you know you end up doing stuff intuitively and it's it's not always right so everybody needs a plan so decide what you're going to do decide why you're doing it write it down and then work out how you're going to get there and stick to it basically amazing yeah Yeah. so good Uh, I spoke about this before where it's like everybody wants a, a map and a start and a finish but people don't have that people have a compass that kind of guides them roughly where mm-hmm. they are but as long as you're making a plan it's going to help you get yeah to of where course you are. Yeah. of course you need to try and keep yourself accountable and remind yourself of why you're doing what you're doing mm-hmm. remind yourself of your goals you know even if it sounds uh you know if you just write a journal just write down and mm-hmm. you know start of the day you wake up what you're going to achieve or what you know what are your goals and then at the end of the day just tick them off mm-hmm. and the more consistency you have if you can tick those things off every single day you'll get there yeah do you journal yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I always have. So we did as as skaters we were made to, and it was, you know, a ball ache ultimately. And I was like, I don't want to write. And I just ended up writing down how much I hated my coach. And stuff. So it just ends up being therapy. You're supposed to write down whether you drunk four litres of water that day or something. And I'd just write down, you know, he was horrible to me today. Or, you know, I did do that lap and he didn't write it down or whatever it was I was complaining. Um, but, you know, that does help get stuff off your chest and help you go to sleep. So... Um, I think it always and you read back at it you think oh my god I was a mad person like, it's just not you know you just sound insane the things that you end up writing down but those are your thoughts yeah. people have crazy thoughts and it's just it's good to just to get them out sometimes yeah that internal dialogue is 
an insane person. Yeah, if you could actually <laughs> hear yourself thinking, it would, you know, blow your mind. Yeah, what was I reading? I can't remember the book I was reading the other day, but it was saying, imagine that that voice is like another person that you're sitting at dinner with or something, and you'd just be like, I would never spend time with them. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. So trying to get those thoughts, like, on paper is such a good way to... Well, it changes how you talk to yourself, I think, mm. as well. I always think, when people don't know what to do, I always think, what would I tell my best friend... So, you know, you have your own, you know, insight into or the best insight to your own life and what's actually happening. But if you had that insight to your best friend, if this was happening to your best friend, somebody you love, what would you tell them to do? Mm. And then do that. Yeah. That's the right answer. Because nobody else has that information. Only you have, the, you know, enough information to make those decisions. But you wouldn't necessarily be kind enough to yourself. No. So I think, what advice would you give? And now do that. Yeah. That's always the right choice. Yeah, amazing. We're so hard on ourselves, aren't we? Yeah. So these last three questions. Okay. And I know we're running out of time and you've got a client at 12. Yeah. So the first one is, is there anything you've discovered or come across recently that you're particularly excited about that listeners should look into themselves? Um, within the fitness industry, you mean? Could be anything, whatever comes to mind. Oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, I've been so... I don't know if I can answer that because I've been so in this build project we've been doing this for the last you know few weeks or several weeks um and it has been 24 hours a day i, I haven't slept in months yeah. um so i i think i've been very sort of you know just in-house and just my brain has just been in raw and making sure that we can open the doors in time and i think lots of people the builders don't like me um <laughs> which is fine um but you know, I don't. That, that can be your answer. It's amazing. It's two and a half weeks. It's been open, right? Yeah, just yeah. Two, just a couple of weeks. Perfect. There yeah, I mean, I walk like I walk around just telling everybody everything that's wrong, all the snagging things that I want fixed. And I want everything perfect, but you know, that's impossible. But that's how you find high achievement because if you are a perfectionist, then you're seeking the best. So I think it's great. Thank you. <laughs> um, the second of these three is if you had to advise every listener to incorporate one habit into their life that's going to help them drive their performance forward. What would that thing be? I think what you, the first thing you think in the morning. I think it changes the whole day how you how you wake up. So if you wake up and you check your you know social media or your emails, there'll be something in there that's going to piss you off. <laughs> so I think taking control of that and not letting other influences affect how you're going to feel that morning, um, and doing something positive for yourself first thing, whether it's you know something maybe feels a little bit indulgent because you're busy or whether you make a coffee you sit down and have 15 minutes of I sound like a hippie but like quiet time where you just have your own thoughts you say positive things to yourself you think about what you're going to achieve that day and it changes everything when you start the day in a positive place and thinking about positive things and what you're gonna what you can actually do to take charge of that instead of like I said having you know other people come at you and having to deal with things first thing in the morning so I think I think the first it's a really great way to make significant change if you can just get into the habit of taking a few minutes out in the morning to you know say something nice to yourself take a coffee go for a five minute walk even just breathe some fresh air um I think can change the whole day how do you make yourself do it every day it's just a habit it's yeah. just a complete routine I don't think about anything else I don't lie in bed and think oh I could just stay here I've never pressed snooze in my life I get out of as soon as the alarm goes off I turn it off I get out of bed 
and I go into my living room and it's time for myself because nobody else is awake at that time. Um, and whether I decide I'm going for a walk first thing in the morning, which I do quite a lot, um, or I have 20 minutes where I'm meditating, basically. Mm. Um, awesome. But it just, it's just habit. And if you do it and there's, you know, it's a non-negotiable, then yeah. you've got that habit, you know, in, ingrained. Yeah, that's amazing advice. I love that. So the last of these three is, what's the key trait within you that allowed you to have all the success that you had as an athlete and everything you've done with Raw as well? What's that key thing if you had to pick one? Resilience. Nice. I can answer that very quickly. <laughs> um, I think I think it's something, I mean, I'm kind of known for it a little bit as well, but I do turn things around very quickly and I've had some some crappy stuff happen uh, over the you know the last few years. But I think... The, the thing that helped me get through those and helped me support other people around me that were also going through some some bad times were the fact that as an athlete, you out of maybe 20 races a year, you'll have one good one. So, you know, you fall over, you get hurt, you lose your race, um, and it really, really matters to you and you're devastated every time. But that one good race makes it all worth it so you you know if you fall over you have another race in 45 minutes you have to pick yourself up you have to be positive again and it just becomes who you are and what you do because you have no choice not because I'm the toughest person on the planet but just because that is you have no you have no other option so I think sport taught me that from a young age and it became who I was so you know I don't I don't get angry about stuff I don't get upset about many things and if I do it's for two minutes and I say it I say everything that comes into my head I get everything off my chest and I move on very quickly and I'm I'm good at dragging people with me with that as well amazing so people can think more about how they can be more resilient to hopefully have a similar impact on their life hopefully Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. It was lovely to talk to you. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I think that your philosophy and your attitude are incredible and your energy is really infectious. And oh, yeah, thanks. I really enjoyed chatting. So thank you. Great. Cheers. So there it is, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Sarah, for all of your time, for sitting down and talking with me and sharing your story, and also for putting me through it in the gym this week. As I said to you, I genuinely believe in what it is that you're doing and what you're trying to achieve. I'm a huge supporter, and I encourage everyone to check it out. Go and look at the Instagram page, Raw Fitness LDN, and of course, go and follow Sarah if you don't already at Raw Fitness Girl. As I mentioned before, I had an incredible session in the gym with Sarah and that video is on my Instagram at markwittle underscore TF. A huge, huge, massive shout out to Charlotte Collins for helping me organise everything and introducing me to Sarah in the first place. And a massive shout out to my brother, Bobby Harrison, of course, the genius behind the camera. So he videoed the session that we did in the gym and he's been with me for the Richard Whitehead one, for the John Ryder one and all the other ones that we've done as well so you can see his masterpiece on there but I just think there was so much to take away from that episode and one of the things that I found amazing as you know as we heard today is sadly Sarah didn't win an Olympic medal but it was so good to hear that in her opinion Raw as a gym is in her eyes now her gold medal which is so powerful because naturally things don't always turn out like we want them to 
And there are times where possibly goals we're trying to achieve or expectations that we set for ourselves don't come to fruition. So if we can turn that attention to something else that's positive, something else that we want to achieve or help somebody with or somehow in some way we can contribute to other people, then perhaps that can be your gold medal as well. I'm so, so excited because as I said, I loved speaking with Sarah. I've loved chatting with her the two times that I've met her. And she's agreed to sit on the panel for the next Take Flight event, which more details will be coming soon. It's shaping up to be an amazing, amazing evening. I did mention on the Proud Lock episode that it's going to be the 6th of February. I take that back. I shouldn't have said that. I couldn't get everyone lined up for that night, unfortunately. But the good news is we're pushing it back a few weeks. It's probably going to be early March. All the details will come out at the beginning of February. I'm looking forward to sharing those with you and I'm really, really excited to have another incredible event with amazing energy, with a great atmosphere like we had last time in October and even better because Sarah's going to be a part of it. So I'm literally recording this on Sunday morning. It is 9.40 as I'm speaking and this is supposed to be going up in an hour and 20 minutes. I'm a little bit behind schedule this week. It's been an amazing week, a really busy week. I moved house last weekend which of course takes up a lot of energy and a lot of time, but then went straight back into work on Monday where I was of course working my full-time job. So that's been super busy. And then I managed to get in two podcast recordings this week as well. I also managed to get the workout and the video with Miss Sarah and I did another workout and a video with some other friends, which was brilliant. And I'll post that in probably a few weeks along with a little announcement. I've also had three huge meetings with regards to ventures that I'm looking to go on with kind of with take flight but also personally as well they're all going to be really exciting and the announcements for those things are going to be coming up in the next two three months i think so loads going on it's been an absolutely mental week really really chaotic but really really fun and i've had the chance just to take the dog out a couple of times this weekend uh, just to find a little bit more space but yeah i think you know again another message that things don't always go to plan Um, but we can always make it work and it was something really nice my dad said to me the other day my dad said to me do you agree and do you believe that in the end everything will be okay and I said yeah I do and he said okay well great and if it's not okay then that means it's not the end and I thought that was really nice it stuck with me throughout the week so um, hopefully that helps you guys too so thanks for listening again looking forward to sharing the next week's episode which I haven't actually decided who it's going to be yet I've got about five in the bank So I'll have a think this afternoon about who's going to go live next week. But until then, stay positive, stay motivated and take flight.